You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. We're starting a new series today on worship music, which uh, I've been leading worship for a long time, at least over 15 years of leading, but then I've been in worship bands longer than that for much of my life. Because of that, I love music and I love using it as a way to give back to God. And I know that's not the case for everyone. I know uh, for some people, worship music is just music. It's just a prelude to the message. It's what we do. It's that thing that we got to get through to get to the real stuff or something like that. And then others feel, no, 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 it's not like that. But those first few fast songs are just pure cheese and no one cares about that. That's not worship. That's just to pump us up to get to the real worship, which is the slow songs and the lullabies and all that. Everybody kind of lands on a different place. Some don't care at all. Some don't have a musical bone in their body. I know uh, I've read basically everything C.S. Lewis has ever wrote except his diaries. I have copies of his diaries, but I haven't read them yet. Uh, But I've read everything else. And the most heartbreaking statement of all C.S. Lewis is they didn't care very much about worship music. Like, let's just get, it's like, no, C.S. Lewis, why? Jack, don't do this to me. But um, that that was my moment to sound very uppity (laughs) by calling him Jack. Uh, But for me, presence music is a big deal because when you sing things happen crazy things can happen i have seen people healed during worship music i have seen people speaking in tongues during worship music i have seen demons manifest because the worship music is just too much for them and then they suddenly appear i have seen lots of kinds of crazy things happen when music happens and as a musician I do like that, so I kind of make a big deal about music. In fact, one of the hardest things for me in 1208 history was when we were transitioning to uh, dinner church, we used to have an hour and a half for service, which was great for me because that gave me 45 to 50 minutes of worship (laughs) and then 45 minutes of speaking too long. But at the same time, like that, that was important to me. Worship music is is inviting the presence of God to come and be here. The Bible says he's enthroned upon our praises. He sits upon our praises. He rests upon our praises. This word can be interpreted in several different ways. Enthroned, rest. uh, It can even be Mary in some cases. God is married upon our praises, which I know sounds a little weird, but you get the point. Where the praise of God is, there God is. And I think a lot of times... We don't get that. And because of that, uh, even my catchphrase often, I think, gets misheard by, <laughs> by us sometimes. My, my worship catchphrase here at 1208 is, you can take on whatever posture you like as we worship, but if you could start by standing, that would be great. What I don't mean when I say that is, if you could all stand and then, you know, just do whatever after that. If you want to sit down, I don't care. This isn't important. That's never what I mean by that. What I mean by that is there are a lot of different ways to worship. And my posture sometimes is to go to the back corner of the room and lie down and soak in it. Sometimes that's that's what works for me. And if that works for you, Janice, by all means, go for it. 
If it works for you to pull out a Bible and read while we're worshiping, go for it. I do that too. If there's something else that God wants to put on your heart as a means of worship while we're worshiping, go for it. We're praising him and his presence is enthroned upon our praises. He's here. He's in the room. Spend some time with him in the way of your choice. But what I have never once met in the history of 1208 is you can stand, but this isn't a big deal. So when you're done standing, go ahead and just sit down and, you know, don't worry about it. Because that's not worship. And churches sometimes will say that, well, worship music really isn't worship. Worship is your life. And I get that because worship is your life. Everything that you do to praise God is your life. But the Bible makes a big deal about music too. In the Bible, music is not just some, well, that's just a thing that we occasionally do, but God doesn't really care about it. No, the Bible actually paints pictures of worship happening in heaven. And if it's happening in heaven, I like to think that it matters on earth. So I'm going to take you through in this new series... Some of my thoughts that I've come across over the years about worship music. And I hope by the end of this, it'll make a little more sense as to why Jamin sporadically adds in so many extra songs along the way. As to why Jamin sometimes drags out music forever. Because for me, that's not a non-important part. This is a huge, crucial part of the reason that we're here. Sometimes it's more important than the message. Probably more often than not. What you need to do is give your heart over to God through worship. Because a lot of times we're not willing to give our mind over anyways. But if we give our hearts over through worship, then God will start to chisel at our mind through the message as well. It's got to start with the heart, though. That's, that's where it matters. Well, it all matters, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let me take you through a few stories. First one comes from 1 Chronicles 23, 2-5. David assembled all the leaders of Israel and the priests and the Levites. So he's got a temple set up, and the temple's no little deal, guys. The temple, in their minds, is the place where God is especially manifest. I know we always say, well, God's everywhere, Jamin. He's omnipresent. I agree with you, but there is a difference between God's omnipresence and God's special manifest locative presence. And geographically, throughout the Bible, there are some special manifestations where God takes up residence in a geographical location. And throughout the Bible, that was the temple. That was the temple. That when you walked into the temple of God, you were walking into the manifest located presence of where he was. The Ark of the Covenant that was inside of that place, he's not like inside of it like it's a coffin or something. He's sitting on top of it. There's a chair on top of it. He's right there. So when you went to the temple, you were actually walking into God's sacred space on the earth. And part of the reason it was so sacred is because, it, as Hebrews tells us, it was a shadow of what's actually going on in heaven. So when you walk inside this temple, you're walking into heaven as though it's overlapping with earth in the same place. You are in spiritual space and physical space at the same time. And that's why Hebrews says that the tabernacle or the temple is like a shadow of the heaven. It's a shadow of what's really going on. What happens in such a sacred place? What happens in in this, this sacred, spiritual, heavenly, earthly realm? Well, here's what David assigned the people who took care of it to do. He said, uh, you, you can stay on that one, sorry. I, I, I went ahead of myself. The Levites, 30 years old and upward, were numbered, and the total was 38,000 men. 
You have 38,000 priests to take care of the sacred space. What are you going to do with them? Here's what David did. 24,000 of these, David said, shall have charge of the work in the house of the Lord. 6,000 shall be officers and judges. 4,000 gatekeepers. And 4,000 shall offer praises to the Lord with instruments that I have made for praise. David, the king, the prophet, was a musician. And he understood that when we walk into spiritual space where heaven and earth overlap, that music is an important part of it. So much so that he took 4,000 priests and said, you guys need to keep this music going here. That's a pretty hefty sized worship band. I don't think they're all just going at the same time, but you know, they probably got the rotation of time and all that. But why would, why, why that? Why 4,000 priests keeping music going in, in sacred space? Well, my guess would be that that's probably an important part of heaven. I say that because now you can go to the next slide. Revelation shows us that there are all these glimpses of of music going on in heaven and poetry going on in heaven. God himself, you ever notice this in the Bible? When God speaks through his prophets, he speaks in meter. He speaks in poetry. See, the ancient people, we see this especially in Egypt. The Egyptians, if they had a prophet come in and try to speak on behalf of the gods, then that prophet was expected to speak in a poetic-like manner because the divine is above us. It's better than us. And their words should have some polish and grace and beauty to it. And so it's no shock that when we look at Israel and their prophets, when they speak out God's words, it comes out in poetry. It comes out in something that feels like music, can be put to music. And when we look at the book of Revelation, we see music coming up all the time. We see music coming up among God's people. We see music coming up among the angels. And we see music coming up amongst dead Christians who have now gone to heaven and are now singing the new song of the saints. Music serves an important part throughout Revelation. When we catch a glimpse of the heavenly realm, we see music going on. 1 Samuel 10.5 also shows us another glimpse of the prophets and how they're engaging in music. So at one point, King Saul needs to uh, go find the prophets. And what Samuel tells them is that when he runs into them, these prophets are, gonna, are, are going to anoint him more or less. The spirit of God is going to come upon Saul. He's going to be turned into another man. And that's what happens. And that is so extravagant when the spirit comes upon Saul that we miss some of the little points. Like the fact that When Saul runs into these prophets, these people whose job is to listen to the voice of God, they come down from their place of worship holding harps, tambourines, flutes, lyres. They're singing. Now, I don't know about you, but there's this thing on my heart when I was a kid, when I go to church, I just, I really wanted to be a prophet. And I don't think I even knew what that meant. That was just like really in me because they got the cool stuff. They got to see things like armies of angels. They got to call down fire from heaven. They, they got to hear God's voice. I mean, if, if you're following God, who doesn't want to hear his voice? Except many of the prophets who hearing God's voice often got them killed. But still, like, that's the beautiful part of it. Is that they would hear God's voice and speak it out for others to hear at the risk of of people not wanting to hear it, but lives being changed among those who really care nonetheless. And so as a musician, when I look at the prophets, these people that I always 
aspired to, to be like, to hear God's voice, to see visions, to have those things. I take note when I say it's interesting that the prophets are, are musicians, that they're carrying instruments. Because if I want to be like them and hear God's voice, well, it seems to them that music was important. In fact, carrying these instruments is in the same sentence as prophesying, as though these things could go hand in hand. You know, we see that elsewhere amongst the prophets. You can go to the next slide. Elsewhere among the prophets, uh, in 2 Kings 3.15, we see an interesting story with uh, Elisha, the S one, not the J one. Elisha is addressed by some kings who say, look, we want you to prophesy over us. We're going to go to war. Are we going to win or not? You know, and Elisha's response is, well, if you want me to prophesy, go get me a musician. What a weird thing to say, you know, like, why? (laughs) Well, I think he knew something that the prophets knew. These prophets who come down from high places with instruments in hand are the same kind of prophets that I'm sure carried on a tradition into Elisha's time. I'm sure Elisha probably learned this technique from his mentor, Elijah. I'm sure Elijah learned this technique from the schools of prophets that you find at Gilgal and other places. That yes, when you come across prophets who learn how to hear God's voice, they gather in groups with other prophets to edify one another, to teach one another. They have these whole schools going on. Just like how pastors get in groups with other pastors to learn things. Or how doctors get in groups with other doctors to learn things. You know, how you and whatever job you are in get in groups with other people in the same like-minded thing to learn things. And in the Bible you had schools of prophets. And I think one of the things that they were teaching one another is if you want to hear God's voice, play some music. It's interesting. It doesn't even say that there was words. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. But that helps me too, because oftentimes when I'm wanting to meet with God and create sacred space to to bring in his presence, I'll put on music in the background. It helps me. It helps focus my mind. I'll put on worship music, or if that's just too busy for me, I'll just put on instrumental music. But for Elisha... He knew that if he was going to prophesy, it would be helpful to have a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. See, music for Elisha was actually a supernatural way of hearing God's voice. So when we, when we turn it into just science, when we turn it into just sonic noises going through our minds when we turn it into we got to sing a few songs remember a few stories before we get to what we're really here to do this is what we miss we miss what the prophets knew that god is enthroned upon his praises and sometimes you find him manifest when the praises are going on all right next slide uh another another not just verse but entire book of the bible psalms I mean, we have 150 of them, but according to some of the archaeological studies we found in the Qumran scrolls, there's actually more like, I want to say 3,600 psalms or something like that, uh, that, that have been written throughout Israel's history. But the psalms are this entire book of music. Selah. Whatever that means. I don't know. But 150 songs expressing the full gamut of emotion 
And that's going to be a whole message we'll do within this about emotion in worship music, because I know that gets confusing. We'll go through that, not today. But I want to point out this about the Psalms. The Psalms are often supernatural music. How did that even work? David was well removed from Jesus' time. I can't remember the last time I sat down to write a song. It's like, hmm, God, what would you like me to write about? Ah, yes, a man whose bones will be crushed and his clothes sold to everybody, the Messiah. No, that's not what happens to me when I'm writing. But for David, he was not just a king, but the prophetic often came out of him, where he would catch glimpses of the future that was to come, where he would catch glimpses of the Messiah, where he would meditate upon God's words, and those words would suddenly give life to new and fresh expressions of who God is and what he's going to do. The Psalms are music and they're also supernaturally infused by the Holy Spirit with prophetic words of what is to come. Supernatural music. It plays a much bigger part in our lives than just being a few songs that we sing through. Uh, It even can be useful in uh, spiritual warfare. You see this in the Bible. I have had times where I am in the middle of deliverance and I just put on a song or start singing a song. And the amount of difficulty that suddenly comes about in this demon that's manifested is like, it's like it's tearing it apart. (laughs) What for you is a few songs that you have to sing, like, well, let's just get through this. For a demon is like screaming on the floor, losing its mind. Not all demons, they have different kinds of weaknesses. When it comes to supernatural warfare, if you want to have success in in deliverance ministry, you better be used to the toolbox that comes along with it. One of those tools is worship music. What for you is just a few songs, let's get through this so we can move along, for demons is torture. Do you realize the power carried in those words? The power carried in those melodies? We should. That's powerful stuff. And you see that with David. Now, when Saul got a demon, the Holy Spirit had left him and a demon came upon him. He would go crazy. He'd take his spear and he'd throw it at people and try to kill them. Usually David, once it was his son, uh, he just kept escalating out of control more and more. But when they saw that Saul had a demon, do you know what they did? What's your first thought? Is Let's send him to a menstrual institute, right? A menstrual? Uh, that's menstrual institute? No. Very Sorry. Mental. Mark, do not tweet that. <laughs> You've already got one tonight. I don't need two. Uh, a mental institute. That would be our first thought if we came across someone who just lost their mind and would often try to throw spears at us and lose just all sanity. But for them, it's like, oh, well, Saul's got a demon. Um, Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. Is that your first thought? Hey, you have demons. Let me go get you a guitarist real quick. Not usually, but that was ancient thinking. Clearly, you've got something going on. Let us go get a musician. Why? 
Oh, this is David. This is the psalmist. This is the guy who writes that supernatural music, plays that supernatural music. And when he comes and plays that music, it says that the demon would go away. That's powerful worship music. It's not just standard music. It's, it's, it carries the, the, the presence of God upon it. All right, next passage. Uh, so we see it used for deliverance. We see it used for prophesying. We see it more used for deliverance. Uh, we know, at least in the Psalms that we have, that there's one uh, particular Psalm that was used for deliverance. It was often prayed over uh, kids at night when you're going to bed over the family. Psalm 91. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. All the words that are in bold up there, if you're to do ancient Near Eastern studies, you would see that these Hebrew words are connected to demons. This is why the Jews around Jesus' time basically just renamed this psalm like a psalm to pray over demons at night. Well, to pray over your family at night. Not over, you know, praying over demons. But <laughs> uh, whatever the case was, like, this was their way of like, speaking into the spiritual realm through music to fend off any demonic attacks that would come about. All right, next passage. Uh, okay, so as we get ready to wrap this up, Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, I think this shows all the more reason as to why I embrace this uh, supernatural manifestation of worship music. Because <laughs> when I think of Paul, and I think of the things that he cares about, the things that he constantly talks about, it's usually going to be things like evangelism and whatnot. So when I think of him thinking about the Holy Spirit, I think of him thinking of evangelism, prophesying, going out and reaching people uh, and seeing healing happen that leads to evangelism and, and all these kinds of things. But in Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, here's what Paul says happens when we're filled with the, the Holy Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, whatever that is. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. With your heart. Not just speaking words, making melodies with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in music. See, Paul sees a direct correlation that when the Spirit comes on us, a lot of times that erupts into praise in some way. That happens throughout the Bible too. At the Red Sea, after the enemy is conquered, suddenly Miriam takes up a tambourine and they start making up a song. Mary, as she's out with her cousin, she starts to write her Magnificat, a song about what God is doing through this beautiful moment of giving birth to the Messiah. Deborah, after they have conquered the enemy and judges, she lifts up a song of Deborah, a prophetic song of praise. Sometimes when we are filled with the Spirit, the only way in which we can respond is to sing. Those are beautiful moments. Those are when new songs come out, songs that we don't even know the words to yet. Or a song that we maybe heard in the past comes to our mind and suddenly it's like, I just feel the need to just 
lift that up right now. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What's a spiritual song? I don't fully know. My guess would be a song of your spirit. You sing songs out of your spirit all the time. Perfect example in Bob's Burgers is Linda Belcher, and she sings songs about everything she does. Washing the dishes, yeah, you know? But, like, this kind of spiritual song is like a, I'm turning my heart upon God, and what comes out is, God, you're so good, you know? Simple words, hardly anything to it. And yet, those are the kind of words that last with us. Give your heart to God and see the song that comes out of it. Because Paul saw that as a spiritual manifestation. Uh, next slide. All right, so before you play the video. Um, all this being said, we are starting as of this Wednesday, what we call Sperum, which if you're a Narnia fan, you'll know the reference. But it's when, it's when Lucy goes to, to Narnia and has to explain, no, I came from a... Spare room through the wardrobe. Mr. Thomas is like, wardrobe, spare um. What are these places? Anyways, we have a spare um up front. And uh, we're redesigning it right now. Don't look at it. It's, it's, I'm tearing it apart. Uh, but we're, we're redesigning it right now to be used for worship. You know, we're, just, we're, we're pretty far into a pandemic and life has been pretty hard. Now, I just got back from a conference where... Uh, they were talking about, you know, where's the church go from here now that we're coming out of the pandemic? And I was just like, I came here for answers. And I've done everything you've said. <laughs> you got to start new churches. I did it. You got to think more creatively. Bring it on. You know, like, I'll take it. What do you want from me? Nerd church? You ever heard of that? No, what's that? I'm ahead of the game. Got it. Okay. Likewise, the entire series was about the Holy Spirit, but it was like super base level Holy Spirit stuff. Like, have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit before? Sometimes he talks. Thanks. I was aware of that. You know, like just super base level stuff. So here I am three days into this conference, just kind of burning out. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back and I won't know what to do. I need some advice, God. There's just one statement that was said. And I don't know why it stuck with me so well, because I've said it myself, so I would rather take credit, but it sounded way better from that guy than me. But God goes where he's wanted. That was what he said. And I don't know what history he was referring to, but I'll take him at his word. He was talking about, if you looked at a map, I think it was like through Ireland or something, and you just watched the road. It's as though God started in one church, and stopped by and knocked, would you like me here? And they received it or didn't. And then the next church down the road, and then the next church down the road. As though God geographically was walking door to door throughout a nation. Hey, you want me here or no? And they had the invitation to accept him or not. Guys, we live in a difficult part of Jackson. I mean, the waves at which this church has gone through over the last decade, like... I've got other people in our conferences like, what kind of spiritual warfare are you guys putting up with over there? <laughs> it's like every time, even, even before it became 1208, it was Camino Viva, and it had the same waves every few years, just falling apart, coming back together, falling apart, coming back together. Even right now, look around this room. You see all these people? Yeah, feels good. People are here. It hasn't been that way for two years, you guys. So don't think that this is normal. This is not normal. Where'd you all come from? 
We just, we're coming out of the end of another wave into another one. And I don't want the next wave to go back down again. And so the only thing I had was that God goes where he's wanted. And I learned that from my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Because when I was in the Pentecostal church for one year, man, there was some crazy stuff. And I was like, I can't do that. You guys, you know, I need a little more, a little more structure than this. But if there was one thing I learned from them that I will hold on to for the rest of my life, it's that God goes where he's wanted. The theology may not have been perfect, but they wanted him and God showed up. They might have done some really stupid things where I was like, whoa, what are you doing? But they wanted him and God showed up. They might have played one song for 45. I was in the band. I might have played one song for 45 minutes. But we wanted him and God showed up. Do you want him? Because he'll show up. And so I've intentionally carved out our spare um to imagine that another world is possible. Just like Narnia. There might be something different out there. Right? That there's another Jackson possible. I mean, our mission statement here is in Jackson as it is in heaven. Do you see that in your neighborhood? If not, let's start praying into it because God goes where he's wanted. There is no revival that has happened where humanity did not care. It starts with hearts set afire. So I told the board this past week that I wanted to start this like next week. <laughs> and that, uh, um, that I had to do it. And that if I was the only person who ever went, whatever, it's fine. So 9 p.m. Wednesday nights, and it ends whenever is what's technically written down. It will always go at least to 10, but it will end whenever, whenever we're done. Everyone's invited. Tell your friends, tell your family. But take that, take that time to just engage God's presence. Do you have a bunch of homework you have to do? Do it in God's presence. Are you just stressed out? The whole family went to bed and you just need to be with God? Come be with God. You have the book you wanted to read. You wanted to meditate on scripture for a bit. Come do it. Just do it in God's presence. We are hosting space for him to come and asking him to show up and God goes where he's wanted. And a lot of times he tests you. It's great. How bad do you want me? I don't know. We've been praying for a year now. How bad? Vineyard movement. They had to pray for healing like every week for like a year. Nothing happened. No one got healed. And then one day, everything changed. People got healed every week from then on. How bad do you want it? If it's only as bad as I just want to go to a service and be there for one hour and then that was my Jesus for the week. That's not wanting God to the level to which he wants to be wanted. He wants to be king of your heart. And you don't have to be in this building to do that. I'm not saying that. But I am offering you a space in this building to do that. So time's up. All right, we're going to wrap up with a quick video. You can help us get the word out to just invite people to come worship with us on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. This is a video on social media. You'll find it on our Facebook page, things like that. Uh, it probably won't make much sense to people because I talk too fast uh, and too poetically, but based on everything I just preached on, it might make sense to you now, and uh, then we'll wrap up after that. Go ahead, Caleb.
What if I told you that we live in the shadow of the heavenly? That these holy sanctions of Christian bodies are more than matter but a sanctuary for the Holy Spirit, caught up in the cocoon of the resurrection metamorphosing inside. The flesh of Adam peeling off like serpent scales drying in the sun, giving way to fruit grown not by human hands, but by the watering of the new wine of the Spirit, coating our throats and soaking our souls like miracle grow. Sprouts giving way to petals that blossom like sunflowers arising to shine upon fields that suffer of drought and blight. And as they unfold in the light of the sun, they sing hymns and spirituals alike, each word bursting with pollen, giving way to incomprehensible tongues. The diversity of a bride who carries the nations in her blood and a new song in her heart. And when she sings, she sings beautifully. A multi-ethnic genre-bending noise upon which the psalmist says God yeshavs, that is, sits on, is enthroned upon, dwells on, inhabits, or marries. The dream to spend a day in his courts is a dream met within the first fruits inside. Temples of presence walking down the mundane concrete of urban mazes, our stride a beat of worship as our souls join in with the melodies of the holy ones, humans and angels alike. What is this symphony arising out of me that joins with the prophets of old, who walked with lyre in hand, who fetched musicians in pursuit of the sound of the voice of God, who wrote out messianic futures, love songs penned to a melody called Jesus? What kind of harmony is this that supernatural weight might live inside the ancient lyrics of dead kings and nobodies, that even God himself should speak in the meter of a poet inscribed on thin scrolls more grandiose than mountains? Where there is God, there is his throne. Where there is his throne, there is his hosts. And where there is his hosts, there is music. And that sound trickles down into the shadows, the royal priesthood of earth mirroring the royal priesthood of the heavens. It's just music, we say. Just music? If we mean liberation, I agree. But if we mean a preface to a homily or entertainment to be consumed, then perhaps these bodies are not quite the heavenly shadows they should be. For where the music of God is, there he is with it. And the shadows become reality as another world becomes possible. The impressive ability of a pastor to speak either in two minutes or say all of that again in 34 minutes. You're welcome. Uh, <clears throat> but that's what this room is for now. It's just open. There will be music. It will go where it goes. And wherever the Spirit leads us, we just go along. It doesn't have any structure. It's not meant to be like a special service that we've designed every week for you. It's more like God is enthroned on his praises, so we'll sing. And if he shows up and he gives someone a word, we'll have a space to speak that out. And then everybody tests that word because the Bible tells you to do that. If someone needs healing, we pray for them. And the list goes on as to what God wants to do. And we just remain available. And there's going to be a lot of nights where it's going to feel like a lot of work. There's going to be other nights where it's, whoa, weren't we just here for five minutes? It's already been two hours. You just never know what's going to happen. Seeing the Holy Spirit manifest and take care of time in all different kinds of ways when, when you're just pursuing him. So that's what the space is for. 9 p.m. Many of you will be in bed. That's totally fine. But if you need the space to come and just be present with God, uh, join us then. We'll be fixing up the room over the next few weeks, uh, but uh, we'll at least have it cleaned out and ready to go uh, as of this Wednesday, 9 p.m.
So God, we uh, see all throughout history that you go where you're wanted. Perhaps the, the book of Judges is a great example of that. Because uh, every time that Israel didn't want you, you let them go their own way and they ended up in captivity. And then they would watch you and you would come and liberate and save them. And then they wouldn't watch you again and you'd let them go and then they'd watch you. That's literally the entire book of Judges over and over and over again. Well, God, I'm here to say that I want you. And we here at 12 Away want you. Jackson needs you. This church needs you. I need you. So come and infuse us with your life-giving power and strength. We worship you. You are enthroned on our praises. So come be here with us. Jesus' name, amen.